0: Today's scripture reading comes from Luke chapter 2, verse 15 to 20. So, if you'd like to open your Bibles. So, it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe laying in the manger. Now, when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told to them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled, and those things which were told to them by the shepherds. Now Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, as it was told them. The passage here, the story that Evan just read this morning, follows on the heels of the great revelation from heaven of the good news of great joy that we looked at last week. Um, Jesus is a Savior, Christ the Lord. This is a message that was given to those shepherds. And our passage this morning is pretty straightforward and it's one that we've heard every year. We know it quite well. It's a simple story but, uh, and it's about the shepherd's response to the news that they received from the angel. I want to look at this passage a little bit differently today than perhaps we've looked at it before. I want to look at it as an illustration of what happens when someone comes to Christ. Now, you remember that the first seven verses of the chapter tell the story of the birth of Jesus. It describes the fact that Mary gave birth Uh, To her firstborn, she wrapped him in claws and laid him in a manger because there was no space for them in the guest room. We looked at that last week. And it happened quietly. It happened in obscurity. Quirinius, the governor, didn't know it happened. Uh, Herod didn't know that it happened. The high priest didn't know that it happened. The chief priests, the scribes, the Pharisees, um, all of them didn't know it happened. Even the people in that home didn't know what really happened when it happened. But heaven knew. Heaven knew, and it didn't take long for heaven to respond. And that's where we pick up uh, our verse, verse 8 that we looked at uh, last week. And you remember what happened. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will come That that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, uh, the the, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with an angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests." What an amazing portion of scripture, the heart of which is verse 11, a Savior has been born to you. He's Christ the Lord. You know, so many today misunderstand the Savior. They misunderstand Christ. They misunderstand the Messiah. In Jesus' day, the Jewish leadership and the multitudes misunderstood what His purpose was as a Savior. They wanted and expected a political leader to come in and overthrow the Roman government and free them from the oppression of a worldly government. I think in the same way people today, even many church-going people, misunderstand the Savior and what His purpose was. The purpose for which Jesus came was not to save us from our anxiety, although he can do that. It's not that Jesus came to save us from our poverty. It's not that Jesus came to save us from our lack of fulfillment or from trouble. Really, there's no guarantee in this life that we're going to be rescued from all those kind of things because we still struggle with the sin nature. We still live in a fallen world where there is disease and there are trials and bad things do happen that's where much of the disenchantment in Christianity has come, I believe, for those who have left the church because they misunderstood that our lives don't become perfect. and They misunderstand the joy and contentment that we can have despite of things that are going on around us. Jesus didn't come to make us perfect. We are being perfected. Jesus came to save us from the eternal wrath of God. And that's the issue. We may still struggle through all kinds of trouble. We may still have a measure of earthly unfulfillment. We may even find life is just a little bit less than we expect it to be or want it to be, maybe even more painful than we think we ought to be going through. There's no guarantee that all that will change. But Jesus came to save his people from the penalty of their sins and to give us the Spirit of God so we can be victorious over our sins and victorious over many of those things in our life. Scripture says the wages of sin is death. Spiritual death and separation from God forever. Horrible concept. Frightening concept. The child that we celebrate this season was born to save us from that death and from the wrath of God. Last week, we focused quite a bit on the title Savior. We focused quite a bit on the title Christ, the Anointed One. But it's also very significant that the angel used the title Lord for this baby. Did you know that the title Lord is used over 6,000 times in the Old Testament to refer to God. And it became the most common name or the most common title for Jesus in the New Testament, verifying that Jesus is, in fact, God, the same God from the Old Testament. So here's a child who is God in human flesh, Here's a child who is the anointed divine prophet, priest, and king. Here's a child who is a savior of the world. And we said the last time that the truest and most basic confession of the Christian faith is Jesus is Lord. You can say a lot of things and you can believe a lot of stuff about Jesus, but none of them will save except truly believing in your heart that Jesus is Lord. And that's why suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. We mentioned that that peace was a salvation peace. It wasn't a worldly peace. Jesus never promised a worldly peace. He he promised a peace in our heart, a salvation peace that God bestows upon those whom his favor rests That peace and that favor will only rest on those who call on the name of the Lord and proclaim Him as Lord of their life. But it is available to all. Salvation is a gracious gift, free gift, to those who come to Jesus and worship Him as Lord, and their lives are changed forever. Now imagine you're in the situation of the shepherds. I mean, life had... Had to have been pretty dull every day out there in those fields with those sheeps. I could imagine, probably downright boring. And all of a sudden, all heaven breaks loose. And you've got it, you've just had an angelic messenger, perhaps Gabriel himself, who's told you that the Messiah has been born, the Christ, the Savior of the world, God in human flesh. The angel is then joined by a whole heavenly host of angels who, who have come down and have given you a taste of heaven. And they're glorifying God and praising God for the salvation that He's brought to mankind, brought to earth through the birth of the Messiah. And this is all beyond all imagination as far as the shepherds are concerned. And the question at this point is how did they respond? How do they respond? How do they respond to the good news of Jesus Christ? And that's what I want us to look at this morning. I'm going to use it as an illustration how people ought to respond when they meet Jesus. In verse 15 we read, When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. That's where it all begins. We have no idea how long the heavenly host was there with the shepherds. Probably not near long enough as far as the shepherds were concerned. They could have done an all-night worship service that night with all those angels there. But as suddenly as it had started, it ended. Can you imagine? One moment there are all these angels, all this light, and the magnificent worship and praising, and suddenly they were gone. Silent. I can imagine them looking at one another for a moment stunned what just happened then all of a sudden they started talking at all at the same time because it all dawned on them what they had to do when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another. The Greek verb for said is in what we call the imperfect verb tense. It's imperfect because it's just not complete. It's, it's an ongoing action. It's an ongoing conversation. We could, we could translate as the shepherds were saying to one another or the shepherds kept saying to each other, we've got to go, we've got to go, we've got we, we to go to Bethlehem and see this thing. Find this baby. Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. They all had the same idea. They all had the same, exactly the same response. I find it interesting that they said, let's go see this thing (laughs) that has happened. Again, the Greek word literally refers to that which has been spoken. The word for this thing, that which has been spoken. Let's go see this reality They heard the message, and they believed the angels. Isn't that interesting? These are the first two steps of coming to Christ and being saved. The angel first gave them the good news. They heard the message. I bring you good news of great joy. Jesus! Hearing the good news has got to be the first step. The Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 10, verse 24, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? They can't. And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? They can't. And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? Again, they can't. The message must be given. And then the shepherds believed it. They believed the angel. Let's go see this thing that has happened. This reality. They had no doubt. They believed the message. They believed the fact that the Messiah, the Savior, Christ the Lord, had been born. Then their faith in the Word of God caused them to pursue Christ. And that's a third step in anybody's life in coming to Christ. You hear the true message. You believe it. And you come to Christ. Verse 16 says, So they hurried off. Again, the Greek indicates that they, they rushed with an earnest desire and great enthusiasm. They were excited. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. I found this kind of interesting too. They found. Anorisko is the Greek word. It's a word that means they found by searching. There was no star shining down, say, right here. They found by searching. So they had to go looking and searching. But the angel had given them three clues. One, it was in Bethlehem. Two, they were looking for a newborn wrapped in cloths. Three, it was lying in a manger. Those are the three clues. Now, I'm assuming they they went right into town. Remember, this is nighttime, and we don't know exactly what time it was, but there were probably still a number of people milling around because there were thousands of people that had come to Bethlehem to be registered for taxation, just like Mary and Joseph had. And when a baby is born, people can usually hear it. It wasn't in a hospital with soundproof rooms up on the 10th floor somewhere. Mothers usually make Know, a little noise through the child birth experience, but there's always this very distinctive, loud cry of a newborn. You can always tell. So they went asking, Have you heard of a baby being born? Now we don't know how many times they asked that question. We don't know how many doors they knocked on. And said, Let me see, is this the one? Don't know how many babies were born that night. Maybe he was the only one. We have no clue. But they searched until they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they saw that, they knew. They knew because it was just as the angel had said. And no one normally lays their baby in a feeding trough, in a manger. So they sought Jesus until they found him. They Came to Christ, Isn't that neat. Now, interestingly, the next thing that happened gives us an illustration of the behavior of someone who has come to Christ. They witnessed. They witnessed someone who has heard the truth of the gospel, someone who has believed it, and some, the person who has come to Christ then wants to tell other people about it. They witness. Look at verse 17, when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about the child. Now I can't imagine that there wasn't some fairly long conversation and excitement going on between verses 16 and 17, between the moment when they walked into the house, saw the baby, and they went out and spread the news. Couldn't have been silence. I mean, here are these scruffy, grubby, sheep-smelling shepherds coming in the middle of the night into this little home, finding Joseph, Mary, and the baby lying there in the manger. Joseph had to have asked them, what in the world are you doing here? The shepherds had been overwhelmed and excited about the angels and the glory of God and the announcement, and I would assume probably spent a fair amount of time all talking at the same time about everything that had taken place. And I can imagine Mary and Joseph saying, oh, that's so cool. You know, that same angel came to us too, separately. Mary came to me first, and Joseph came to him. And they all, I would imagine, again, Scripture doesn't tell us, there's a lot of excitement going on. They're all telling each other what they were told about this child. But whatever took place that night, at that moment, it was only Mary and Joseph, a few shepherds, Zacharias and Elizabeth, who knew anything about this. And it says, When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child i can imagine them going out of that that little house running in all directions so excited trying to tell anybody that they could that would listen hey he's here the messiah is here the savior's been born the angel told us and told us where to find him and we've seen him we've seen him with our eyes we found him christ the lord the messiah has has been born They were so excited because it had changed their life. And they wanted to tell people about it. You know, I don't know if you've ever noticed or not, but some of the most aggressive, faithful, excited people who proclaim the gospel are the newest Christians. Because they're so full of joy and excitement, they want to tell somebody. And so these shepherds become the first New Testament evangelists. They spread the word. I'm sure they repeated the amazing revelation from God as well as their own personal meeting with Joseph and Mary and the baby lying there in the manger. They couldn't help themselves. I mean, this was the greatest news the world has ever known. It was certainly the greatest news that they had ever heard of in their own life. Their lives were dramatically changed and they had to tell some people. And they did. And what was the reaction of the people? Verse 18. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. The word amazed is thumadzo, to be amazed, to marvel as, to be in wonderment. Whoa, this is amazing news. This is the word that Luke used over and over again when it came to people's reactions to Jesus. Jesus caused people to be amazed. There's no question about it. He was an amazing person. They had never seen anybody like them. They never heard anybody like them. They never seen the, the miracles and the works that he did by anybody else. But folks, amazement doesn't cut it. Amazement doesn't cut it. There have been people down through history that have been amazed at Jesus' life. They've held him in high regard, they have respected him. Even Mahatma Gandhi of India highly respected Jesus and his teachings. Our Muslim friends highly respect Jesus as one of the greatest prophets. But being amazed by Jesus doesn't do it. That's not salvation. That's not enough. It was a typical reaction, but it was still amazement and curiosity, not commitment to Christ. That's kind of the contrast between them and the shepherds, right? The shepherds heard the message. They believed and ran to Jesus. Wouldn't it have been great if it said there in verse 18, and all who heard it were amazed and went immediately to the manger? That's not what happened. They just wondered and were amazed and went on with life. But The next statement in verse 19 is interesting. It takes us a little into the heart of Mary where it says, but Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Can you imagine this, this young girl, perhaps teenager, sitting there in this little home Looking into that feeding trough at a baby that's come from her womb, this baby conceived and born without her having known a man, looking at that baby and thinking, This baby is a son of the Most High God. This baby is a rightful heir to the throne of David. This baby is a savior of the world. This baby is the anointed Messiah. This baby is God. I wonder where her pondering thoughts went. How do I raise God? How do I teach him? Do I have to teach him? Will I ever have to say, Jesus, don't do that? Will I ever have to discipline? Oh No, probably not. He's God. When's he going to start saying amazing divine things and doing amazing divine things? How am I going to be a mother to a child who is God? All kinds of thoughts must have been going through her mind as she sat there listening to all this and observing all this, and she sat there pondering everything. One of the things she must have thought deeply about was God's redemptive purpose and how God had promised a Savior and a Savior had finally come and wondering, how, how is that all that going to work out? How is this baby of mine going to do all that? And she treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And I like to use that as our fifth point, pondering, going deeper. We usually use the word today discipleship digging deeper into God's Word, pondering. You know, after those initial days of excitement of being, being saved by grace, we need to take the steps necessary to grow in our Christian faith. And we, we need to begin thinking more deeply about the reality of who Jesus is and what that means for my own personal life on a daily basis. You know, just recently in our uh, Bible study prayer time that we've been having on Sunday evenings and Tuesday evenings we, we were looking at 1 Peter. We talked about the passage there in chapter 1 verse 5 where it says this, for this very reason make every effort to add to your faith. Make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance good uh, godliness and to godliness mutual affections to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That process should never stop. The psalmist says in Psalm one and verse two, that the one who God blesses, the ones who God blesses are those who delight. uh, whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. Those who ponder God's word, allowing it to sink in and transform their lives. We can never stop learning we can never stop being transformed. Paul tells us in Romans 12, 1 and 2, you know this well, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Put yourself away. Holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be what? transformed by the renewing of your mind. I found it interesting that the word for be transformed is actually the word uh, "metamorphao," metamorphize. We are to go through the process of metamorphosis in our Christian life. That only comes from meditating and pondering on God's word because that's what renews and transforms our minds. Then what did the shepherds do? Verse 20. The shepherds returned. They went back to life. They returned to their fields. What a night they had had. They had no idea what was going to take place as they were living out in their fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And when all was said and done, after they had had what we would call a mountaintop experience, the angels, the brilliant light of God's glory and, and holiness, the multitude of angels praising God, the excited search for the child, seeing the newborn Messiah, the, the talk and conversation they had with Mary and Joseph, and the running around telling everybody the good news, and they went back to their fields. They still had responsibilities, They still had work to do. They still had families to take care of. Life was still there. And we too have to go back to life. We have to live our life. We go back to life, only now we go back with a different attitude. We go back with a different attitude. We go back glorifying and praising God. That should be a part of who we are That's what the shepherds did. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. You know, I don't know what their attitude had been like before the angels came. It doesn't tell us. But I can pretty well guarantee that it was different after their encounter with the angels, the glory of God, and christ it was changed jesus had changed their life and that should be what takes place in our lives we hear the revelation of god we believe it we go and embrace christ there's a witnessing that follows that should continue the rest of our life there's a deep studying and pondering about the great truths that are in that are found in God's Word as we grow in our relationship with Christ and as we deepen our knowledge of the Word of God. And, and there should also be a life attitude change. A life attitude that should consist of glorifying and praising and worshiping God. The Apostle Paul says, whatever you do, that pretty well covers everything we do. Whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him, praising Him, glorifying Him, worshiping Him in everything we do and say. Those are marks of a believer. There's an old Gaither song that many of you will recognize that says, Shackled by a heavy burden, Neath a load of guilt and shame, Then the hand of Jesus touched me, and now I am no longer the same. He touched me. Oh, He touched me. You're probably singing along, aren't you? And oh, the joy that floods my soul. Something happened, and now I know He touched me and made me whole. Since I met this blessed Savior, since He cleansed and made me whole, I will never cease to what? Praise Him. I'll shout it while eternity rolls. He touched me, oh, he touched me. And oh, the joy that floods my soul. Do you have that joy in your heart this morning? Or have you allowed something to steal some of that joy away? Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest, Jesus said. That's Jesus saying, let me touch you let me touch you and let me refill you or fill you with my joy twas battered and scarred and the auctioneer thought it hardly worth his while to waste his time on the old violin but he held it up with a smile what am i bid good people he cried who starts the bidding for me 1$ One dollar Who do I hear two? Two dollars, who'll make it three? Three dollars once, three dollars twice, going for three but no. From the room far back a grey bearded man came forward and picked up the bow. Then wiping the dust from the old violin and tightening up the strings he played a melody pure and sweet, as sweet as the angel sings. The music ceased. And the auctioneer, with a voice that was quiet and low, said, What now am I bid for this old violin as he held it aloft with its bow? One thousand? One thousand? Who'll make it two? Two thousand? Who makes it three? Three thousand? Once, three thousand? Twice, going and gone, said he. The audience cheered, but some of them cried, We don't understand. What changed its worth? Swift came the reply, the touch of the master's hand. And many a man with life out of tune, all battered and bruised with hardship, is auctioned cheap to a thoughtless crowd, much like that old violin. A mess of port, port, a pottage, a a glass of wine, a a game, and he travels on. He's going once, he's going twice, he's going and almost gone. But the master comes. And the foolish crowd never can quite understand the worth of a soul and the change that is wrought by the touch of the master's hand. Do you need a touch this morning? Do you need a touch this morning? Is there hope for you? In Jesus there is hope. For everyone, I'm going to ask the worship team to come, and as they sing that, that beautiful song that we've been learning, that we've been singing together, if you feel that you need a touch this morning from the master's hand, from Jesus, while they're singing, would you just come and, and sit here in one of the first first uh, seats here? And our elders will be available I'll be available as well, after the service, to talk with you, to pray with you and to get to that point where we can be refilled with that joy of Jesus.